0: This is Defenders TV Podcast, episode 158, where we're talking about Luke Cage Season 2, and we're on the first episode, episode 1, Soul Brother Number 1. Welcome back, fellow defenders. We're back with another Netflix series, a brand new one this time. We're starting off our coverage for Luke Cage season two with Soul Brother number one, the first episode of the series. I'm one of your hosts, Derek. Hello, I am one of your other hosts, John.
1: And rounding out this trio, I am Chris.
0: Welcome back to Luke Cage. You guys looking forward to talking about this one? This
1: one's going to be good. There's a lot of funky soul in the air. And uh, yeah, I'm enjoying what I've seen so far and can't
2: wait to discuss. Mm -hmm. Yeah, really looking forward to this one. Um, Loved, loved this vibe. Yeah, yeah, definitely about the vibe in this show.
0: Uh, We talked about all of our thoughts on all of Season 1 and Luke Cage's appearances on The Defenders, if you haven't heard that episode. Or if you're joining us for the first time, you can find that over on DefendersTVPodcast.com and subscribe to the podcast, where she will give you access to all of the episodes of our Luke Cage Season 1 coverage, our Defenders coverage, and our little recap of everything that's happened so far and everything you need to know to prepare you for Luke Cage Season 2. This is being released on the 22nd of June, so... Just as you're hearing this episode, or this episode's being released, you should be watching episode one of Luke Cage.
2: And it's great to hear that our podcast is a she, yes. (laughs) Yes, it is. Of course it is, John. She will grant you access to all our episodes of season one of Luke Cage. Well, let's get right into our coverage of Luke Cage, if you guys are ready to go. Oh, absolutely. Derek, fire away. What are some of the episode details for this episode?
0: Well, as usual with the Netflix series, this episode was written by the showrunner Chio Hidari Coker, who gave us season one of Luke Cage, and his imprint is all over this episode. Really has his stamp, and his way of running this show is different from any of the other Netflix shows. It was directed by Lucy Liu. Woo-hoo. Who has so many great credits from her work back in the day on Ali McBeal to Kill Bill Volume 1, which she references in this episode. There's a little reference to Kill Bill uh, within this episode, which I'm sure we will call out as we go through it. Uh, But yeah, really interesting to see her in the director's chair.
2: Yes. And of course, she sawed in one of my absolute favourite episodes of Futurama. Philip J. Fry. <laughs> yes, she played a robot in that she episode too. Did. She did. It's Robot Lucy Lou, Yes, that's very cool.
0: <laughs>
1: but you cannot beat her in her titular work, which is of course Elementary. Some of the best work she's ever done.
0: I have never watched an episode of of uh, Elementary actually.
2: No, I haven't either, and I still prefer the fact that sh- her stomach became a popcorn maker in Futurama. <laughs> I was wondering what, what show that was in. Was it in elementary?
0: Because that would have been very, very strange. <laughs> that would strange. have been hilarious. <laughs> anyway, all episodes of the show, just to mention this, all episodes of the show are taken from songs from Pete Rock and C.L. Smooth, just like the first season of, uh, of Luke Cage, season one, um, where all of the episodes are taken from songs by Gangstar. Every single episode is named after songs by Pete Rock and C.L. Smooth. I've got a playlist over on uh, Spotify if you want to hear what the actual song sounded like, but this is Soul Brother number one, and they even worked the, into the Episode something they didn't do last season. Uh, they worked in Soul Brother number one is this episode. But John, do you want to tell us what they gave us with your synopsis for Soul Brother number one?
2: Sure. Luke Cage is back in Harlem defending the streets from crime, but he's angry and frustrated. Not only are the drug pushers using his name to sell their gear, but every time he shuts down a corner, another pops up to take its place. Away from the street, Luke settles back in with Claire Temple, but Luke is resistant to her involvement in his investigations and the idea that he could earn a living from his crime fighting. Meanwhile, at Harlem's paradise, the crime families of Harlem come together at the invitation of Mariah Dillard, as she and her new beau, Shades, attempt to convince them to invest in a venture that will clean her money and get her out of crime for good. However, as they make their plans, so too does a new arrival in Harlem, as Bushmaster comes to sweep away the old guard, and he has his sights set on Brooklyn, then Harlem, And the new head of the Stokes family, Mariah Dillard.
0: If you haven't joined us before, the way we cover our podcast is that we discuss our top five points. And since this is Luke Cage, it'll be our top five bullet points for the series. All the things that stood out to us about the episode. Usually that means that we talk about every single thing that happened and just slot them into five points. So to kick us off, our bullet point number one. What's my name? We are reintroduced to Luke Cage, obviously. He is the main character of the show, and we get a great reintroduction to him. What a great way to start it off. They don't even have the opening titles, and but his name is stamped all over everything in that first scene as the new drug on the streets of Harlem <laughs> is named Luke Cage. It'll make you bulletproof, man.
2: That, actually, I really, really loved. Just after the big, big fight where, you know, effectively he's like... um he knows he's going to beat their asses. And of course they're all kind of resigned to it. And like, even one of them goes, look, I've got to try, uh-huh. but as they're all running out of the warehouse where all the drugs have been packed up, he runs past one of the, the kids on the corner trying to sell it. Mm-hmm. Um, I just thought that was so good, you know, get your Luke Cage here. It's bulletproof, you know, really, Classic. really good. and really, I mean, just that vibe of having, you know, his name on the drugs that he's trying to uh, stamp out in, in the neighborhood and in Harlem. Uh, It's just, it's a nice little moment. And certainly as it develops, just how, you know, again, in a Hydra type way, Every time he gets rid of one corner, another pops up to take its place. Or maybe two, possibly. <laughs> um, I really, uh, really like that. That kind of analogy of, like, hitting water. Yes. Uh, really good. Yep.
1: I thought it was an interesting take in that they're saying that since the end of Defenders, in a small amount of time now that has kind of transpired, Luke Cage has become so so synonymous with Harlem. Mm-hmm. And having his father there kind of giving that speech around why Luke Cage is wrong for Harlem in his view, mm. it's a very sanctimonious dripping with venom and ire and kind of in a fake news world, it is fake news. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, it's twisting the facts. But what I, as I said, I found most interesting is that it's pointing out that he's become so much of a brand.
0: Yeah. The yeah, bulletproof
1: absolutely. black man of Harlem mm-hmm. is now so much of a thing that it is becoming a brand name for drugs. Yeah. And it it's forcing then Luke to do this, and we see the map behind him with multiple X's on it. Mm-hmm. And he, yeah, as John said, like every time he shuts down one, another's popping up. It's a nice way to say that he's been continuously working since kind of he's come home, since he's been the free man. Uh, Carl Lucas is no more. Yes, Luke yep. Cage, yeah. is the power man of Harlem.
0: Yeah, there's loads of touches in here about the fact that he is now the famous man of Harlem. We saw a little bit of that in, in his first episode in Defenders. We see him coming back to the town, everybody knows him in Harlem because of what he's done in season one and becoming a free man now. He's completely free to do what he wants to do and to save the people of Harlem. We see little touches in there, like they've created the Hero of Harlem app where uh, where anybody can follow his movements, tag him in photographs, tag his locations. So you see the kind of downside of fame or downside of the brand that is Luke yeah. Cage. This also speaks a little bit to having to control your brand you see that with a lot of big companies trying to control how people perceive their brand which is what luke's trying to do at the opening of the episode someone has taken his name and put it on drugs the one thing he's trying to stop in the city and he can't really do anything about it because as you say john he's punching water he's punching all the time these people but it's not shutting down any of the big people that have made this decision to take his brand and put it on something and sell it to the kids of harlem
2: it's really interesting you say brand because i had that uh to mind as well this this idea that you know he has become a brand of harlem that represents harlem uh but also like with any brand as you say you know you've got the detractors which is in this case his dad you've got the infringers who are trying to use that brand for something that he certainly doesn't want them to um and, and it also plays into that you know personality where you know people become the brand Mm -hmm. whether it's from you know pop music or music in general the the one namers prince madonna that iconic name becoming the brand Mm -hmm. to to sell their music uh or even just with like dr dre and so on yeah really um it really feeds into that especially when music is such a central part of the showrunner's infusing of of the of culture and of the just the vibe and the essence of this show it's a really interesting take
0: yeah yeah absolutely let's talk about some of the other good sides i suppose of the fame that's coming along here huge references in here i think to hero for hire for to him moving towards heroes for hire we have claire temple pushing him to why don't you sell it we have the kid who's been following him around with a camera since season one dw who keeps saying to him bulletproof gotta get you paid right we have bobby in pop's barbershop saying to him you know what about talking about talking to sponsors uh we have that really funny moment when he comes back after being shot in his in the new sweatshirt that he's wearing to promote african-americans going to college going uh that sponsorship of college didn't seem to work out the logo is a bit too big it seems to be a target and that's where all the bullets went into (laughs) into the top uh nice little touches in here about the other side of fame he is famous he's not Cashing in on it, yes, and it does seem like everybody's pushing him towards the idea of Heroes for hires. What do you think?
2: Yeah, I mean, I think it, I think it's really interesting that Luke seems to uh, really want Misty again uh, mm-hmm. as a partner here, but then the the difference with his approach to say Claire, who he's living with, um and where you know she wants to be his backup, not just his girl. That's what she says, yeah, yeah. and yet he's totally resistant to this and he's not with misty because he sees misty as being a cop uh and he's this vigilante crime stopper uh investigator that should expect bullets to fly their way he doesn't want that for for claire yet she wants to be as much a part of uh his world and what he does uh, and again she is another one saying you know you should earn money from this you know cops do firefighters do ambulance drivers and with vigilantes well what's the difference you know again that blurring you know we asked so many times on on the podcast you know what about the police some of the shows have really had the 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 police department the detective central uh, and you see them the characters playing off that and then there's also this idea of you know, we may ask, well, where are the police? Why aren't you just guessing the police? And here it's kind of saying those lines are blurred. I think that's a really nice way of, um, sort of bridging that view of, yeah, where is the police when it's just this one man going after, uh, the, these criminals on the streets? Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. I'm going to make one prediction now. I know it's only episode one <laughs> and it's like, Hey, we're
2: just into it, but is this an obvious one?
1: Well, it's Pops's. Uh, Pops' barbershop being kind of they're not being able to pay the rent etc etc they do know a billionaire I'm just saying he bought a dojo to, <laughs> set to help with the rent he There's bought a, a restaurant
0: and Defenders just so they could have dinner and a place to hide out yeah
1: exactly so I'm kind of thinking there may be someone purchasing the building helping out in the future mm-hmm. uh, for those of you who didn't watch Defenders or haven't watched Iron Fist we're of course talking about Danny Rand the immortal Iron Fist, who uh, through the comics is, and in the Defenders is now becoming quite chummy in the f- the comics. He is best friends with Luke Cage.
0: Yeah, yeah. And they were definitely setting that back up in, in Defenders. They definitely got to a great place by the end of the show where you could see them calling on each other.
1: Yes. So I do see that that is potentially something that may come in in the future. Right. Kind of like Bruce Wayne just buying a hotel to play in the in the fountain.
0: Absolutely, absolutely. And to yeah. see when we got Pop's Barbershop back, we did also have the swear jar present. Uh, you see Luke Cage coming in. Uh, putting in a, a dollar bill or a couple of dollars uh, no, to pay it was a for... a heavy
2: night. It must have been at least 50. Yeah,
0: <laughs> to pay for a heavy night of swearing. So uh, the swear jar will be in effect for this episode, uh, fellow defenders. So if you do...
2: So we can.
0: If you do swear, yeah. I will have to cover it up with our swear jar again. Please don't swear. But if you do, I will be covering it up.
1: Oh, <laughs> that is fantastic.
2: But Thank great you, to see Cole you back. Producer. Yeah, absolutely. But I'm definitely up for um a Heroes for Hire moment. Even if they don't call uh Danny and Luke getting together Heroes for Hire, I really just think it would be fantastic. So, yeah, I'm totally with you on that prediction, Chris. Absolutely.
0: So, just so we don't make our big mistake that we made during Jessica Jones Season 2, where we saw the first episode and said that character's going to become Hellcat? Let's not do that for this season. It will happen when it happens. This season's not going to be about Heroes for Hire. This season's going to be about Luke Cage living in the city of Harlem and how fame is affecting him. So if we see Heroes for Hire, I think it's going to be in the Heroes for Hire season coming in the future. I don't think we're going to see it in this show. So let's not get our hopes
2: too high.
1: Ah, you're no fun. I am (laughs) keeping my
2: hopes really high. I don't think it detracts from... From Luke Cage at all, and of course we do get reference to him as Power Man from Claire Temple mm-hmm. as well, That's as right, he very goes cute. off to 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 cover a lead, which is actually a double cross from his sort of man on the ground.
0: Sugar, yes. Sugar's uh, back from season one. And they have just at that great moment where they meet up um, and Luke finds out that he's driving for uh, one of the one of the other gangs. Sugar turns around to him and says, I- I'll give you the information and then Luke keys his car <laughs> and Sugar goes, there's something wrong with you, man. There's something wrong with you. You're wrong in the head. That was hilarious. He
1: doesn't even key his car. He nails his car. There you go. Literally yeah. with his fingernail. <laughs> I was like, dude, that's a nice Jeep. Really harsh. Um, Speaking of... like his superpowers Mm -hmm. i just want to bring one point i know we're jumping straight to the end of the episode yeah but luke's got powers now luke's been empowered upon his powers and the judas bullets are no longer working they're no longer a threat
0: what a great moment like we've talked about this before when we were doing our uh wrap-up that chris hasn't been watching the trailers and there was one moment from the trailer that was go- that was really worrying me, which was a big explosion in a truck that Luke walks away from. I was thinking this is the one that Chris wants to avoid because that's something that's happening in episode 10. It happens in episode one. He steps inside of a truck investigating uh, what's going on and then gets blown up, walks out from the truck, makes that amazing speech uh, to camera just after getting shot by a Judas bullet, the thing that was supposed to kill him in season one. And now he's impenetrable to it. It just looks like it, it does hurt him. But it doesn't explode inside him like it did in season one or take him down or take him out like it did in season one. That's cool.
1: Yeah, it didn't even go through. Yeah. So it tried, it basically burrowed unsuccessfully uh, into his skin and then blew up on his skin. Mm-hmm. Um. So, in ter- okay, two parts to this. One, the trailers. That scene was fantastic. The explosion which I now guess is basically in the trailer, um, I was like, oh my God, that's amazing looking. So I'm very happy I've stayed trailer free. There you go. What I probably will do is in our final episode review, post-watching the final episode, I will then watch all the trailers. Right. And then I'm going to talk to you guys as a, as a separate point, just to go, am I glad I stayed market trailer free? I, what did I think? Anything? Because you guys have watched them, mm-hmm. so let's have a com- comparison.
0: We almost recorded a podcast yeah. a bit. <laughs> yeah,
2: I, and of course, Chris, you almost didn't join us for for this episode because you didn't want to spoil yourself.
0: <laughs> yeah, exactly.
1: I didn't want to spoil myself at all. I just didn't want to watch it. No, I lied.
0: Um, Speaking of other points, uh, as the on Luke Cage, before we mo- move on to Case Note 2. Yes. So
1: very quick, just on, on the, the Judas bullet. Mm-hmm. So in season one, for in case any of our listeners have decided to jump in at season two, I would go back and listen to our coverage of season one. I mm-hmm. watch season one. But anyway, so he is. Uh, he's he goes through the process that turned him into Luke Cage. Uh, a second time during season one. So the question I now have is where now that he, he knows he's impenetrable, immune to the Judas bullets, what else has happened? Right. He's, yeah. So is he twice as strong? and He just hasn't noticed. The, will we get a very much Spider-Man training montage where we see Luke Cage trying to lift... Like, different trucks and things as so now you go, oh my god, I'm actually stronger, I'm more thing I am the unbreakable skin. Will we get another axle Grinder to the abs?
2: <laughs> that would be hilarious. Well, of course, we didn't get Marvel abs in this, but we got our first ever Marvel Bubble Butt um sharing in Luke Cage Episode 1. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, as Mariah Dillard would say, uh prison did your body good. (laughs) (laughs) Love it. Love it. Yes.
1: Speaking of Mariah, gentlemen, I think we should move to our case note number two.
0: Absolutely. Bullet point number two, the King and Queen of Harlem. We have Shades and Mariah just in absolute love together. Mariah was my absolute favourite character of season one. I think we all spoke about that and said that. Pretty much her character may have been in the background for some episodes, but was definitely the central villain. She's got it going on in season two.
2: She is certainly, um, loving it up. I must say, I do like this idea of Shades and Mariah Dillard, uh, together. Um, uh, I certainly wouldn't call, um, her his auntie. Um, whatever. Uh, uh, given what happens to the, the waiter in, mm-hmm. in the bar. Um, yeah, he gets the, uh, crap kicked out of him. I
0: think he even calls for him to be killed for just that slight. <laughs>
2: yeah. As well. But I'm, I'm fascinated by Mariah. I absolutely love her. I just love how she, she moves, how she conducts herself, holds herself. Um, I just think she is so, so cool. And I think with Shades, it's like, Shades is a difficult character, I think, to, to kind of really invest in or get to know because in a sense that is his character is that he's totally introspective mm-hmm. he has the the shades on that means you can't look into his eyes and like, he's a difficult read basically mm-hmm. and you're kind of just there going who is playing who potentially here in this power couple is shades playing mariah uh because you know it's got him to the top of the pile in harlem as cockroach says or is mariah thinking that you know this guy brings in the muscle the protection that she has now lost obviously with Cottonmouth having been uh killed in in season one her brother
0: i think this is absolute love i really do i can see that they are they're both seeing each other as this make this only makes us stronger the two of us together I think Shades is going a little bit crazy in love, to uh, to quote Beyonce. (laughs) I think he's kind of losing it a little bit, where if anybody criticizes her, we see it twice in this episode, if anybody criticizes her, he just goes off on one. You say about him wearing the shades to block it so nobody can see what he really thinks. He takes the glasses off pretty quickly when anybody throws any shade at Mariah.
2: Yeah, no, absolutely. I'm not saying that he's not protecting it or anything like that, but I I just, it's just one of those things. Is it? A couple of convenience, so to speak, or is there something really um developed much deeper from from season one? Mm-hmm. And I think it's it's more on Shade's side at the moment. Yeah. In that you just can't read him. You, yeah. you know, you see him with Comanche, his kind of uh, right hand man, mm-hmm. and you're just kind of going. You know, is he trying to build up his own power base here that he sees this, you know, almost as a Game of Thrones king and queens, as we've said in this point, that he will supplant her at right. some point. You know, he knows now she wants to get out um from this dirty money. She wants to kind of put the Stokes name behind her. She really wants us to, you know, break free of, of this life that, you know, she says has you know kept her family down to clean her family name and to clean the money that she will use to spend the rest of her life mm-hmm. out of this this whole crime syndicate. Interesting, isn't it?
1: So we both and all agreed. My character, Shade's character, were fantastic in season one. Mm-hmm. They came on a bit heavy in this episode because you're assuming, or maybe there's an assumption that. Some people are getting in after season two. So they need to lay down the foundations. They need to set everything up very quickly. So my kind of, from what I remember of the characters, and it could be memory kind of doing, it, they, they kind of laid it on quite thick with Mariah and shades and that relationship. Now I'm not saying it was terrible. I'm not saying it was bad, but taking for example, the, the scene in the restaurant mm-hmm. where the waiter asked that question And she starts sucking Shades' thumb. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, uh, Kind of then starts fondling him um, and arousing him under the table while people are there in front of them. Yeah. They really kind of laid it on thick.
0: See, I think that was almost Mariah's version of what Shades did. It was like, I don't give a damn what this waiter thinks, even if he does think I'm his aunt and he's my nephew i'm gonna go right for it i think it was all for a, a nice knife in the back of the waiter before he got the hell beaten out of him by shades i think that's what the scene was i don't think it was really just there to tell the audience they were together i think that was that was dropped well before that in the conversations uh mariah's talking to shades about changing his name from shades to his real name about standing up and becoming a real man you got to also remember While there hasn't been a huge amount of time passed from the Defenders, there's been a huge amount of time passed for Mariah and Shades, because the last time we saw them was the end of season one, where Luke Cage went off to prison. He stayed his time in prison and had his time with the Defenders, which I think was only about four or five days, but that's at least six to eight months of these two being in each other's pocket, controlling uh, Harlem and being far enough away from everybody below them, all their underlings. There's a constant gag throughout this episode where Mariah doesn't remember the name of Shades' right-hand man. She keeps looking at him going, who are you? (laughs) Keeps telling him to get out of the room. You know, It's a nice gag just to say how divorced she is from the people around her now because herself and Shades have formed this bond between them where they're now running the city and keeping everybody away because what happens when you let somebody close that you don't trust? Well, Cottonmouth found out the wrong way. True. I'll
1: agree with ninety-nine percent of that. Uh-huh. I just feel it just feels a bit thick to me. Like laid on thick. And I like nothing wrong. Because again, this there was only a certain point in this episode I was like, ah oh, okay, I get it, I get it. Everything else with that these two characters I'm still loving mm-hmm. the the relationship, the, the 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 back and forth. Like for example, that scene where they're in the office and she shadows him. They're talking about the next steps, what yeah. they're going to do, and how they're they're going to decide about the big how to deal. Sp- yeah. the, the big deal. Mm-hmm. Um, that was done well mm-hmm. because even though she does straddle him and unzips things and starts <laughs> grinding, and it was done tastefully because it, it wasn't. As in your face, as hand down the pants and sucking your thumb and just laying it on thick. Like I don't know. I just it, it just felt somewhat. Hey, audience, in case you didn't know, these two are together, and uh, now we're done. Now ah, we
0: can young get on with the story. love. Yeah, great? <laughs> I mean,
2: I think it was supposed to be laid on thick for that scene because I, I think it is about her just sending that message going. I don't care what you think about the age difference uh, or whether you're going to mistake me for his auntie, his grandmother, his great grandmother or whatever, um, or mother, uh, you know, with this guy. And I think uh, the fact that then he does get the sh- beaten out of him uh, really does mean then that that's the two different approaches that these two people do. And like... I, I, I thought that was kind of interesting because even that you have the, the guy giving him the inside information, rolling his eyes at this kind of play being enacted in front of the waiter mm-hmm. after he's done it. He, it's kind of like he's the rolling his eyes, getting back to his cocktail that he's had. Yeah. So I, I know what you mean. It is very thickly laid on but I think it it's part of that scene just to make that point because then I think the rest of their relationship you know she asks him um, you know give me the briefing you know leave nothing out as you say he's there with her as then she's brought in all these different crime families uh, for this deal where she wants to get their money to invest in order to get out so after that i think it's all kind of pretty it's that really close relationship that they have both now personally but also uh within the business of crime that they do yeah Um, and also
0: there to show how unhinged shades becomes when mariah's talked about i think that's one of the elements that's in there yeah but as you say let's talk about the actual storyline that's in here for these characters we've got um this idea of a deal where she could invest 20 million clean her money clean her name Get, earn billions back on some supposed, um, possible future tech that this guy happens to know all about. Uh, but nobody else knows a little bit of insider trading there to get uh, her clean and clear of Harlem. Um, something strikes me about that as being quite shady. Uh, I'm not sure if that deal's on the level or whether he's just going to take his 20 million and, and go run. I think there's a little drop line from him where he says, I've already got the offshore uh, companies uh, set up in my name and I've got power of attorney as well so you're completely clear of this. No problem at all. You just hand me over that 20 million dollar check and and you'll be safe, safe as houses. Uh, not expecting that's going to go down too well uh, or go down uh, too well for the two of them anyway. Um, but she calls in the other heads of the crime families uh, to Harlem's Paradise of course, the other central location for the show. I love this scene with the other heads of uh, of the families. Chris, what do you think of the of the other heads of the Harlem gangs?
1: I really enjoy it. I I do like both of their approaches, and then Shade Well, first of all, shades run down on who they are, mm-hmm. what they control, etc. And then what we do is get to meet the Cuban kind of side of the family who are into all the drugs mm-hmm. and the thing. And then we see the um, Jamaican. Uh, kind of crime family yeah. and they're all into the weapons and the drug uh, the weapon running gun running etc and then we see this new uh, upstart um, who if you want to call it that the expiring mob boss cockroach pretty much an Ivy League boy who now has all the NBA players and illegal poker dens kind of casinos and things like that mm-hmm. I found oh, I'm really enjoying it. this is a thread that straight away has piqued my interest yeah. I, yeah. I'm interested to see is cockroach going to try and squirm his way in there with Mariah mm-hmm. over Shades? Is Shade going to lose his shit and go after um cockroach? I know I said I didn't enjoy straight away the the the, the beginning of Mariah and Shades. These characters and their storyline to me is really interesting because we see Mariah trying to kind of keep her get her informational web like her her mama. Kind of all those kind of pieces. So she's still running Harlem's Paradise and she's using it to gain what she needs. She wants to get out. Are they going to get out? I don't think so. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's gonna end up being something very intra it's gonna be a thread that goes on where Black Mariah, as she's known in the comic books and her pseudonym and as she called herself in the end of the the season one I think she's gonna. this is going to be, no, I am a crime family. I am the crime family of Harlem and Manhattan
0: and etc. Yeah, absolutely. And it's, and it's something that always comes back to kind of mob uh, movies. Things like Godfather have done it really well where you have families, actual families set up to control areas of a city and then suddenly they start to step on each other's t- toes a bit and then they start having to either work together or kill each other. That's kind of the only choice you have here. Either you let them control different areas of the city around Harlem, around Brooklyn, or you kill them and then take over their territory. And that's where the kind of battles and and stuff starts to come out. So starting off episode one of season two with four different crime families. And I love how Cockroach describes each of them. I love, you're not going to give it over to the cigar blacks, which is the Cubans. You're not going to give it up to the, to the ganja blacks, which is the Jamaicans. You're going to keep it for the real blacks of New York, the Southern blacks, which I love. I just love that. He's also, Effectively, an interloper in New York. He's not born and bred there. He's saying, We came from the South and we're the ones that are taking New York back and we can work together. Leave it out for these international people coming into our town and taking it over. I think that's a lovely play there because you've already got everybody on edge with each other.
2: Big time. I really
1: liked how Cockroach is the 21st century gangster. Uh He's like, I don't want to buy you out. I want controlling interest. I want to buy in. I want to fund. And you're like, oh, this is gonna get interesting. Yeah. Because yeah. he's he's the he's the Wall Street gangster. Yeah. He's like, I've got the money, I want some of the power, I'm gonna buy in and we do this as a business.
0: Yeah. And why doesn't why doesn't Mariah take that? It is because of the line that he says, I want controlling interest, isn't it? It's because yes. he's basically saying, Of course I'll go into business with you, but I'll be the one in control of it. So she again is having somebody try to undercut her. So Mariah's immediately stand off with that plan.
2: Yeah, and and she's also she's a bit wary of him because she she sees him down by the bar with Comanche and it's kind of like she just sees them as, you know, fresh out of jail, mm-hmm. you know, that they were effectively stupid enough to get themselves in jail as well, probably. Um, yeah, this, this scene really was, was fantastic. And I, I'm kind of there going, you know, is it, the guy with the plastics venture to try and convert 20 million to a billion? Is this a plant from someone who will be talking later in? in in terms of bushmaster maybe um, in terms of to get these um crime families together because you do get that flashback then with the headshot to one of the Jamaican uh, members of the gang um from season 1 from Diamondback and you, and you see the blood spray on the wall past Mariah's face I thought that was a really interesting note to take from that scene to flash back to season one, showing the, the murder by Diamondback of uh, one of the Yardies, which is the Jamaican gang. Um, and certainly given that Bushmaster is. Jamaican as well. And I have to say, despite the name Nigel, um, I really liked, uh, I loved the accent. I absolutely loved that vibe, uh, coming from the Jamaicans in this first episode. I just thought it was really, really cool. I loved the intonation. I loved the, the accent, uh, the different bits of dialect, uh, as, uh, Nigel was speaking, God rest his soul. And, um, of course, as, um, that whole scene then in Mariah's office, just how she's weighing them up. You know, she's had her Intel from shades, you know, I just think it is really interesting. And we find out that the, um, sort of the Cuban guy, is it a Torah? I think it is. Yeah, uh, Cause I was wondering, is it El Terra or El Rey was the other one, but it's a Torah. The third, he is the sofa King. Is he? Of, he is. Of, of Harlem. Yeah. Um, that, uh, he is in his past as well connected with shades. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
0: That's, it's really interesting, isn't it? And if you call eight that he has many different names, there is that moment when, uh, Luke Cage finds him, brings him into Misty and, and goes El ray my ass, basically, as if he can't even stand up against the old people that used to run that business, which is, which is very cool. Not to spoil anything at all. This is not a spoiler at all for the rest of the season, but. I have to say, I loved the two Jamaican guys in this episode. Absolutely loved those two characters. They're brilliant. One character does mention later on in the series that you can't understand every fourth word these guys say. And I am so happy that Netflix, these these preview copies of the Netflix shows that came to us for our reviews of, of Luke Cage came with the subtitles turned on because I wouldn't have understood half of what these characters say throughout here. I don't get the dialect, but I love it. I love the flow of it. I love when two, when two of the characters are speaking to each other because they get the flow and it, and it fires off each other like like poetry. It's, it's really, really cool. But, but I wouldn't have understood it because I just don't come from that background of having that Jamaican dialect around me all the time.
1: So I did have a question, uh-huh. and I, hopefully one of our fellow defenders might be able to answer this. As you said, I'm the same. I, I, I'm not used to the dialect. I'm not used to the accents. Mm-hmm. Typically, when the Irish are portrayed on American TV, we could say there is a slightly stereotypical, ah, sure to be sure, you know, <laughs> the laddie, this, the dilly eye eye is thrown on in some of the accents. Mm-hmm. So I'd be very interested to know. Is the accent authentic? I would is say it, so. is, is it over produced? Is it over inflected? Or is this actually for potentially some of the people, uh, in Harlem? Is this? Uh, very kind of authentic. So I'd love to know if, just if, if any of our fellow defenders listen to this and go, actually, I know my best mates Jamaican or I know Jamaican. That's very, that is, they sound as musically as they do, et cetera. And it's, or it's on laid on a bit thick, but it's actually close. Yeah. Or oh my God. That's like Chris singing the fields of Athenry and diddly eye on the next episode. Well, let's
0: put it this way. I would say this is closer to Brad Pitt's snatch Irish accent than Tom Cruise's far and away Irish accent. Okay. Yeah.
1: That's still not great, but I get what you're meaning.
0: Oh, Brad Pitt's (laughs) Pitt's snatch Irish accent was one of those accents that you only properly hear in Ireland and was subtitled exactly as such because most of the words he said wouldn't make sense unless you actually translated them into English. So (laughs) that's what I mean. (laughs) It's better than his devil's own accent. How about that?
1: True, but also that dialect that he is doing is a very small subsection and not Irish.
0: Oh, absolutely. But there's uh, there's a new accent every street in Ireland, so you'd never be able to capture it.
1: <laughs> uh, that is true. Anyway, just it was an interesting thought. They're kind of like, oh, actually, is that on point? Is that anyway? Anyway, let's take it on from there.
0: Absolutely. Let's get on to bullet point number three. Because you mentioned some people coming out of prison. Misty Knight's storyline coming into season two is very dependent on what's happened in season one with her ex-partner Scarf getting arrested. We see the impact of what's happened, uh, to other characters in the city. We see Misty's come back from her fight in the Defenders, a huge tie into the Defenders. You couldn't, uh, not noticed that something had happened to her between season one and season two uh, misty's lost her arm in that battle at the end protecting claire temple with colleen wing she lost her arm in that battle and now we see the impact of that coming into play but as i mentioned the big impact is that a lot of the people that she put away with her previous partner are back on the street because yeah. scarf either knowingly or unknowingly messed up their investigations, so they were all just revolving door like Asylum.
2: yeah and don dontrell cockroach hamilton is is one of these uh guys, and again, I think uh it's really good to see misty uh back out. I love seeing Claire working with her, you know, the whole night nurse aspect that she would be helping her uh, rehabilitate in this way. Mm-hmm. And I think not only is it pretty tight to the defenders, obviously, with Misty having uh, lost her arm, but even with Claire Temple during the rehabilitation, you know, she's referring to the defenders and particularly like to Matt and to Daredevil and, you know, what he did under Middle and Circle, you know, yeah. trying to say, you know, you got out of there alive, really, in effect, uh, and you can... You can work through this, uh, for sure. Um, I, I really think that, um, the, that, that, scene with Cockroach and, and Misty, you know, where she suddenly realizes that Scarf has, you know, messed up because obviously he was corrupt and he's, he's had like whatever 30 other cases have been released, uh, before parole, before their time. Yeah. Uh, because of, because of his uh, illegal work as, as a, as a cop. Um, and, and I love that kind of introspection of her where, you know, we see her with a bottle of whiskey listing some reggae um, and she's opening up the the Medal of Honor that she's gotten um, and and closing it again. And it's really bothering her. And I love that moment where her boss, when she goes back into the precinct, says, you know, you're no fool, uh, but a fool would effectively uh, give up three-quarter salary tax-free for the rest of their lives mm-hmm. like, by coming back but she she wants to be in the field she wants to be doing the investigations and having you know come face to face with cockroach and just the sliminess of him in, in that particular moment and um, you know she wants to kind of correct those those wrongs, I suppose. Yeah. Yeah. I had to try and get these people that scarf put away, put back into prison again. A
0: cockroach um, is so slimy that yeah. she drops her shopping on the ground and never goes back for it. He's oh. that, he's that shocking.
2: That and that was, slimy. <laughs> yeah, that was a little crazy. I was thinking like man down, don't leave your, your lettuce. And your I don't know. Your lucky charm cereal.
0: Then again, on three quarters pay tax-free, she can probably drop a couple of bags of shopping occasionally, can't she? Uh, but I make the...
2: your paychecks. <laughs> yeah, she didn't <laughs> even go back to pick them up. I was just like going, uh, Misty, you've forgotten something. But it and does drive battle, her to go Misty. back to
0: the police station. So we do get her to meeting up with her new head of, uh, head of the police force. Um, this is the guy from The Defenders, isn't it? It's is the guy that worked with her in The Defenders when she was the head of the uh, strike team correct yeah so he's now moved over to uh luke cage we have bailey back who was her partner in in the force after scarf left he was the one that was doing a lot of investigations with her in in luke cage season one he seems to have got uh, a, a better job now and a new partner so he's now on the force and and doing his job daily so uh so what's the reaction to misty coming back to the police force it seems to be a bit of a a bit of a pushback from everybody that's there
2: it's basically they think she's not ready Mm -hmm. I'm agreeing
1: with you, John. I think what we're going to end up getting is a lot of pushback because also the police and Luke don't have the best relationship. So it's going to be known that she is or has worked with these vigilantes in the past quite closely. And we see from the introduction of Luke to the new captain that there's going to be tension. Uh So I think she will be known as the, the, the go-between between the police and the, the vigilantes, and that's going to hurt her kind of reputation with the police. Because remember back in Luke Cage Season 1, where we did get the fantastic line about how they are vigilantes. They're not the cops. They shouldn't be allowed to do this. Absolutely. Um I do wonder about the whiskey and that Medal of Honor scene with Misty. I'm wondering if we will get some form of fall before the, the, the kind of rise from the, the phoenix, if you will, of Misty Knight with her kind of new arm and the, the ass kicking, taking the names, daughter of the dragon. I, I'm wondering if we will get some form of potentially depression as a, an additional storyline. Maybe. Because I, I, I'm just wondering yeah. because there was, as John said, there was that forlorn look where she's, Looking at that, uh, the Medal of Valor uh, or distinction.
2: Yeah, I mean, it may be. I, I just, I, I just, I didn't really think that. I just thought that all of a sudden she was struggling with not being back on the force because she seemed cockroach. Yeah. Um, and like maybe she'd been getting cabin fever anyway from from not being on the force. And I mean, you know, it it sounds good. Three quarters pay tax free for the rest of your life but if it means that you're not you don't have that structure of of going to work i suppose then it can be um it can be a struggle so i i just think that it was more just um she was struggling coming to terms with her medal and then knowing that people that she helped put away with scarf because even though cockroach didn't really say it i think his implication i think his taunt to her was that you were his partner you both put us away but because he was the rotten egg um then both their investigations failed exactly Um, and so that's why she wants to go back but maybe there will be chris because like yeah it's it's what has that trauma done to her uh from the defenders uh, and is she you know, able to cope to go back to work as well. So maybe that there will be some, but I, whether they'll explore it a, a lot or go into yeah. too much detail, I don't know. And presumably, um, your other prediction of her getting a metal arm from a certain Mr. D. Rand is probably likely to happen as well
0: that's possibly likely yes possibly likely. Yes. yeah i think they've skipped over uh the depression part of it i think that's just a very bit very quick bit of shorthand with her in her apartment on her own bottle of whiskey staring at the metal closing the box we had the other scene with claire where they're bouncing a ball back and forth and misty can't catch it i think it's just just kind of setting the idea that this is someone that was the best detective she got her own her own squad uh in the center of the city uh in the defenders. So this is one of the best detectives the NYPD has seen. Yes. She's not able to do the job she wants to. I think she's much more of a person that doesn't wallow in her depression. She wants to do something about it. She's got two offers on the table here. She's got either. She goes back to the police force and does the job as best she can, or the offer that's on the table from Luke Cage is come work with him and be the person in the office that sends him on his cases effectively. So, uh, so that's quite a nice little setup for uh, Misty in this season. You jumped over a little Easter egg, Chris, I think. I think we saw a little Easter egg when we had uh, Luke Cage meeting up with Captain Riddener. Did you notice the little Sokovia Accords comment that was in there at all, Chris, from your comic book knowledge?
1: No, I did not see this. Please fill me in because you know me, Eagle Eye here.
0: There's a line from Captain at uh, to Luke Cage where he says, you're an unlicensed weapon and you need to come work with us. That is effectively what the Sokovia Accords are supposed to guarantee. Now, Luke Cage continued working as part of the Secret Avengers during Civil War, an unlicensed hero as part of the Secret Avengers. So this would actually tie in with how he worked through the original Civil War comic book series, uh, being the one that just stayed doing his work, but in hiding, effectively. So it's, it's a nice touch. If they meant it, I'm not sure. But I think it's a nice little comment on the fact that there are still laws in there. written is effectively saying, if you're actually going out there and being a vigilante, using your superpowers to capture people, you have to come and work with us and be a licensed weapon. Nice
2: spot.
1: I like that. Nice spot. There you go. Let's see, Yeah, let's see how that works out. That makes because sense. Because that would put a whole different timeline on where we thought it was.
0: <laughs> but the Scobie Accords but... is still in effect, remember?
1: Exactly, yeah. Nobody's taken no. them down. No, 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 you're correct. Anyway, moving on. Lads, why don't we go into bullet point four?
0: Just a quick mention, really, uh, about one of the major new characters on the show. Uh, he was quite central in the background uh, of season one. Uh, James Lucas, the father of Luke Cage, and the father of Willis Stryker, who was Diamondback, the... The other villain, the third villain of season one of of Luke Cage, and um, really good to see James Lucas on screen and getting a lot more screen time in this episode. Played by uh, Reggie Cathay from House of Cards, had a a role on the Wire as well. Really like the presence this character has. He has some great moments where he's speaking from the pulpit about Luke Cage, and that underpin underpins what's going on in the scenes around. I really like the use of sermons, the way they're being used in this episode with uh, with this character of of James Lucas who is totally opposed to what Luke is doing with his life, even though he's definitely not one to talk.
1: Yeah, it's quite a shame that the unfortunately uh, Reggie uh, passed away earlier this year. That's right. Um, after they had finished filming. So this, this is partly his final piece of work. Mm-hmm. Um, so knowing that as well, I, I'm. it's quite sad, but also I'm happy to see him again and see the character. I loved him in Fantastic Four. Not the world's best movie, but I loved him in that film um, as the, the father. That's so right. Yeah. Seeing him again in this, loved him in the House Cards, loved him in the Wire. So, season one he was fantastic. I'm interested to see where they take this storyline. Like, uh, is he just a passing, brief stint into the first episode that we see? Um, but based on that sermon that he was preparing in the mirror to give to his to congregation i get the feeling that it's going to be something more yeah i i really do um, Unresolved
0: daddy issues, hugely important in T V shows. <laughs> they definitely come they definitely come up. He is the one that calls out Luke Cage, thinks he's soul brother number one, so he's the one that gets the uh gets the title of the episode. So quite an important line. If you're gonna give the title of an episode to a character, I'd say he's gonna be pretty
2: important in the series. Um, yeah, and is is he gonna be used as leverage against Luke, or is he gonna be used to um do, you know, control or try and get rid of Luke? by you know luke's enemies that are in harlem as well because Mm -hmm. uh whether they know he is his dad i'm not too sure uh but you know if they find out then obviously um there there is that element that can cause that jeopardy uh for luke cage with his with his father but of course it doesn't seem as though they have a particularly uh close relationship so maybe not so much
0: Absolutely. Like, I love that line between the two of them where Luke is effectively saying that you're just trying to bump up your pews by using my name, saying you're connected to me. That's why you get so many people into your church. And he's going, I was rocking a full congregation since before you were born. You know, it's this real cockiness that comes out on on behalf of James Lucas. I really like the way it's being played against each other. It's quite interesting in the show. One of the other things about him being Luke being the hero of Harlem is... This is something that really isn't explored very often in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. This idea, or in any superhero genre, this idea they always seem to go through is wear a mask to protect the ones you love. Luke Cage is out in the street sticking his face into a a camera that's going up on YouTube every 10 minutes saying, come at me, you know where I am. We see Mariah Dillard knows who Claire Temple is when they walk into uh, Harlem's Paradise at the end of the episode. She's had eyes on Claire from the minute she walks in because she knows they're connected so it's quite interesting i think this is what will play out throughout this season we're going to see a lot of the downside of the superhero standing up and going it's me i'm luke cage it's me iron man which we don't really see too much in the other in the other types of superhero genres
2: no absolutely and i mean you know this uh this relationship as well just to show how toxic it is when they meet in the street you know effectively, his father here, James Lucas, is asking, you know, can we have this fresh start? There is some kind of try to sort of move a bit closer. You know, obviously, um he cheated on his mother. There was Luke's brother, Willis, uh Willis Stryker, mm-hmm. who was Diamondback that he didn't know about uh, and, you know, gradually learned that he had this kind of long-lost brother who was also um crazy. Yeah. And then... Well, I, the ha- it was the half-brother that wasn't treated as well as... Exactly. Yeah. And then I I just you know, Luke absolutely gives the harsh put down of only when you bring uh Mum back from the dead, i.e. it's never gonna happen. Yep. Like so it will be really interesting to see where this goes. Uh if anywhere, will they be re- reconciled? Will things get worse? You know, it it is a really Interesting dynamic to have on, um, the, the show, because yeah, you know, Matt Murdock, his, his dad is dead. Jessica's parents are, are dead as well. Danny's parents are dead, you know. Mm-hmm. So this opportunity to explore this, um, this father son relationship, um, it, I think is going to be quite interesting. I yeah. Think. yeah. Uh, certainly, you know, with the caliber of Reggie Carthy, um, on the show, he really, does bring so much oomph to that role of of James Lucas.
0: I, and I love it. I think there is a resemblance between the two personalities at the very least. I think it's kind of cool to see uh, the two of them going at it in the street. Hopefully we'll see more of them in the future. Um, Chris, do you want to take us on to our final bullet point?
1: Yes. The introduction of um, I miss what I'm assuming is our, our, our big bad for season two. Um, as long as they don't pull a, a season one on us. Uh, we are introduced to Bushmaster, the other Jamaican brother who has come to take Brooklyn and then Harlem mm-hmm. as we are introduced to him. Yes. Um,
0: you have already made a mistake after not learning anything from season one, Chris. Our big bad has been here since the beginning. Mariah ha- is in control of Harlem. She is our big bad for the season. This is just another challenger.
1: <laughs> it is true. But this challenger is uh, slightly better equipped yeah. than uh, old Colton
2: mm-hmm. Yeah, And he um, certainly does a Jodie LaForge number on old Nigel.
1: Oh, yes. Yes, Jodie. Uh, uh, for, for our fellow defenders who aren't quite sure what that means, please elaborate.
2: So Geordi LaForge was in Star Trek, obviously the next generation. Fantastic with old Picard, Mm -hmm. uh, with old Professor X. And he was the engineer of Enterprise Mm -hmm. with um, the visor because he was blind. And as soon as Bush master um starts to dig the knife into nigel's poor eye um and then cut it across i was just like oh my god this is like the geordie laforge like horror show because i thought that's exactly um that's what that came to mind (laughs) um but like some great takedowns uh, and, and a good old bear of the chest there from from bushmaster as well so he can stop bullets just not quite as well as Luke Cage, because they do kind of embed. They don't seem to bounce off in any way.
0: Mm. Yeah, it does seem that they've that they've hit him.
2: You go to some very
0: light places when you see a lot of darkness on the TV show. Like <laughs> that Jody reminds Ford. me of Geordie the
2: Forge. From well, <laughs> it's better than My Little Pony. <laughs> yes. It yes. <laughs> <laughs> it
1: really is. Anyway, so moving on. Bushmaster, or aka also known as John... MacGyver, mm-hmm. um, so he is played by Mustafa Shakir, a fantastic actor, and what I'm really interested in seeing is, I, I at this point, I don't want to go in, drop the comic knowledge on who the character is, mm-hmm. um, because there's, well, A, there's two of them, uh, there's always two, co- you know, this is the standard Marvel Comics way, you know what, we killed one off, we're going to create a second one using the exact same name. Yeah. I'm pretty sure I know who it is and what his background is. So maybe in two or three episodes, if we're given a bit more, I can do a comparison to what we're told versus the the, the origins of the comic book. Yeah. But he's powered. He can stop bullets. He's as strong uh, as Luke Cage from what we can see. He's more agile, though. Right. And that's the interesting thing we see from his fighting style in this scene like he's flipping he's doing capoeira almost kind of spinning kind of doing very i would say the brazilian martial arts capoeira but looks obviously a jamaican version maybe maybe yeah it's going
0: to be interesting because we know Luke but comes from the boxing standpoint that the standpoint that's where he learned his fighting style was the boxing uh, when he was in prison so
1: yes yeah. hit hard hit fast mm-hmm. whereas what we can see with bushmaster john is that he is he's quick he's agile he's Dancing around the place, he sweeps the leg. Yes, for for our Karate Kid references, <laughs> there you go. That's one anyway. Um, I was just really intrigued because straight away, I agree with you, Derek. Like, Moriah probably is the big bad, and because straight away they reveal in at the end of episode one, they reveal a superpowered individual, mm-hmm. and it's just like straight away they rip open the shirt and you see the the bullets embedded. In his skin. And I was like, wow, okay, that's bold.
0: Yeah, yeah. yeah.
1: You're basically, in season one, it took us, what, uh, nine episodes, eight episodes to get introduced to the, the, the secondary big bad? back yeah, that was episode nine, yeah. So they've kind of gone the opposite in with, you know, we made you wait mm-hmm. in season one. Now we're not going to.
0: Well, that's it. What I love about it is in this episode, they took away his other I suppose weak spot from season one, which was the Judas bullet. They've taken that away at the start of this episode or during this episode. And now they've given us, but well, don't worry. We've got a guy that's got, that's got superpowers in this city and he's also bulletproof and he's also fast and he's also mean. Uh, there is some major fights to happen uh, from Luke Cage.
2: Yeah. But the thing is as well, his absolute focus is on Mariah Stokes as mm-hmm. well. It is about. Mariah Stokes, and I think as well it links to that flashback in mariah 's office with shades as they 're discussing with the three uh kingpins or of, of their respective crime families because um you know that is as you were speaking to to poor old Nigel who got his eyes cut out mm-hmm. because um th- there 's something there you know you see the the loathing and the hatred for mariah Stokes and it has to be stokes it 's not dillard and again i wonder just with that whole um you know the whole investment venture that mariah uh, wants to do you know she says a really interesting thing where it's like um it will wash away the risk and all the bad things that stokes have done yes and so you know are we going to see maybe a bit more of the stokes family history you know again her, her mom and just that influence that her mom has on her uh, is brought up again there because we see her drinking whiskey in 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 her house um same whiskey as um as misty that's right johnny walker black label uh you know were a whiskey watch whiskey watch indeed where you know uh shades is kind of going why are you celebrating uh your mother's Birthday, uh, don't you hate her? And you know, she just goes. It's the hate that makes it special. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a real thing there that we caught a glimpse of in season one. Uh, and you know, does this relate in some way to Bushmaster? Uh, and why, you know, after he has taken Brooklyn, he will then set his sights on Harlem and Mariah Stokes. Uh, it seems to me at the moment that potentially Luke Cage, is going to be. Um, it's almost like collateral damage in some ways because he will try and stop any criminal on yeah. the streets, whether it's Mariah Dillard or or Bushmaster, and it may be in that context that these two meet. But certainly at this moment, um, Bushmaster is made aware of Luke Cage from Nigel before his tragic end, but. He's therefore for Dillard. Yeah, for yeah, he doesn't
0: seem to have any beef at all with Luke. This doesn't seem like Luke's villain. This seems like Mariah's villain.
1: Yeah, I'm, I know I said that, I'm not going to get too much, or I wasn't going to touch on uh, Bushmaster's history. But one part that just kind of reminded me, based on what John was saying, is in the comic books, uh, John McIver, Bushmaster, is deeply ingrained with the history of shades. Right. The guys went to jail together, they grew up together, they went up the ranks together. Right. Uh, they went to jail together. So there is a good bit of history there, uh, depending on kind of which run you're reading. And I'd be really interested to see, based on what you're talking about in the Stokes, he's going after the Stokes, the fact that Shades is with Mariah, that they are a partnership. Mm-hmm. Then that could be, that could set up a very interesting dynamic uh, in terms of that fight. So I, I don't know if they go down that route I'd be really interested too. Yeah. If they don't, it's fine as well. But I'd be interested to see.
0: Absolutely, absolutely, yeah. Lots of uh lots of interesting stuff set up in this episode. Uh before we get into notes, is there anything else about Bushmaster?
2: Can't wait to see more of him, to be honest. Mm-hmm. Um really enjoyed his his brief presence uh on on this first episode. Absolutely.
0: So now that we're finished our bullet points, let's go on to our notes. My first note is about Bushmaster. I love the moment just after he's killed Nigel Garrison. He gets Lucy Liu's line from Kill Bill Volume 1, where he says, if you have anything else to say, now's the time. And he just adds a little bit after it, which is effectively, if you don't say anything, you follow me now. Yes, yeah. That's exactly the scene as Lucy Liu stood on the table already, oh, she Cuts off the head of one person that disrespects her and says, "If you have anything else to say, now's the time, or else everybody falls in line with me." Nice to have it in there. I wonder did Gio Coker write it specifically, knowing that Lucy Lou was going to direct the episode, saying, "Nice little reference to you there."
1: I'd be a hundred percent sure yeah. about Definitely. that. One. Yeah, um, Derek, you're usually in our Luke Cage coverage, our music maestro, mm-hmm. our aficionado in all things musical. When it comes to this. Very musically inspired TV show. Uh, I know you have some really good notes about this one, so take it away.
0: Yeah, there's some great ones in here. Uh, Joy is the singer that's on stage in the club uh, with D-Nice on the decks behind her. Um, She's got such a beautiful voice and does some great songs in here. Usually, when these shows come out, we don't get a lot of the detail behind uh, the, the people. And I was looking up lyrics that she was singing uh, on the internet, trying to find out who the performer was. And um, the first one is a cover of a Chris Brown song called "Say Goodbye," so that completely confused me. I had no idea that she was doing the cover. The cover hasn't been released. Uh, the second one is called "What If I Kissed You Right Now," but be ages to find out uh, this this performer. But I think she's beautiful in the scene, and there's some great. Uh, under playing of this music that the What If I Kissed You Right Now is being used uh, as Luke and, um, Claire Temple are having their kiss in the street. Uh, it's beautiful, uh, behind the two of them. Um, there's also a brilliant music touch. You can tell Chio Coker is underpinning all of the emotions in the show and all of the little, mo- little moments in the show. John mentioned it earlier on. The song that Misty Knight is listening to in her apartment while she's drinking whiskey and then it transfers over to Luke and Claire having their sex scene that song is called Night Nurse by Gregory Isaacs you might remember it it's a very famous song but i love that it's being used as Claire Temple is taking care of Luke uh, she is the night nurse it's a nice little uh, nice little touch in there and um, lots and lots of other great music in this episode i could do an entire episode just about the music in the show there's loads of of great songs that are being chosen with Mariah Dillard uh love of Nina Simone's is used again in this episode Um some great great music in there lots more to come throughout the season really interesting the performer on stage Joy got three songs in this episode I think that's the most at uh, more than any other band from season one got so I think we're going to see that in play uh, throughout the season I'm hoping they don't burn down Harlan's Paradise again in episode six
2: yeah uh, I've got the you know we talked about Luke Cage having a lot of books in, in the first season. Yes, we did. Yeah. Um, Bookwatch. So he was in season one. He was reading Little Green, uh, that was by uh, Walter Mosley. And it's about this American PI called Easy Rawlins. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we see here that he's still reading through, uh, these books as he's now onto Charcoal Joe um out in 2016 yeah that only came out a couple
0: of years ago it's, it's really interesting i love this it's like as if i think we might have talked about it because of luke's leanings for doing investigation that it's kind of like this is the template that he wants to follow if he could just be as good a detective or a good as good a pi as this guy he could set up his own agency almost so he has these books as well as loads of other books that he's reading all the time but he has these books always on the go like he's interested in finding out how a pi does his job
2: absolutely
1: wouldn't he just love to have known a pi in his (laughs) background someone who he could reach out to who's a well-known pi in hell's
2: kitchen Mm -hmm. yeah yeah, if only he knew
1: one who could that be
2: (laughs) Who knows? Anyway, yeah.
1: continue. Sorry. And
2: then, of course, there was the other book, Between the World and Me by Coates Taneshi, who is writing, um, Black Panther comic books. Uh, and this is all about feelings, symbols, and the world, uh, of being a Black American. And it is a letter from the author to his son. So, uh, you know, a really, um, interesting read there for for luke cage as well really mm-hmm. uh, really powerful we have whiskey watch as well as you we mentioned with the johnny walker uh black label uh as well so yeah some some nice little Cultural touch points here um, in, in the books and, As always, and yeah. in the songs, yeah. definitely.
0: As always, I think they put together a reading list after season one because of so many wonderful uh, black American authors were brought up in season one with the books that Luke Cage is reading. It looks like they're going to be doing something similar in season two.
1: Speaking of cultural kind of notes, uh, I did like the framing of Mariah in her office with the new twin portrait of crowns king and queen so we had this very famous scene in season one where we had cottonmouth framed behind with a picture of a famous rapper with a crown
0: on his head biggie smalls
1: uh, yes biggie smalls um so the notorious B.I.G. sitting there and he was framed in front of it so the crown was sitting on his head mm-hmm. that that painting is now replaced with uh, a abstracty type painting with two figures wearing two crowns and she was standing in front of it in the same position Mm -hmm. as cottonmouth was but with two crowned figures so very interesting in terms of what we now know about her and
0: shades absolutely
1: it was just a beauty i just thought it was a nice it was a nice nod to season one of that shot
0: king and queen of new york yep i've got one final one Uh, Just a nice little touch in the background uh, of the shot in Pops Barbershop where we see the Luke Cage logo that DW has created for him on a t-shirt. I think that's a reference to the public enemy symbol. Uh, It's white words with red lines on uh, above and below the white words, which is pretty much... The public enemy symbol from from when they started out years ago. I wouldn't put it past Joe Coker to be uh, to be that detailed in the kind of logos he would choose. And it sounds like something that DW, DW would do for Luke Cage as well—take somebody else's stuff and just uh, and incorporate it into into Luke Cage's um, concept for his brand as well. So uh, nice touches so far. That's all we found in notes wise for this episode. I am sure there's going to be people scouring uh, when these episodes come out in the 22nd of June. There's going to be people scouring the episodes, picking up loads and loads of Easter eggs that we haven't found. If you find any that we have missed, just send them in to us at feedback at DefendersTVPodcast.com, along with any other feedback. As we said, we're recording this ahead of time, so we don't have any feedback for this episode. But what we do have, as always, is our defence for Luke Cage Season 2. And Chris, since it's your birthday, happy birthday, Chris. Yes. Thank you very much. You get the task of starting us off. Do you defend Luke Cage season two, episode one, soul brother number one?
1: Hell yeah. Sweet Christmas and every other cliche Luke Cage catchphrase. <laughs> um, I'm not going to give this massive praising uh, in terms of, oh my god, this is the perfect setup to the perfect season. Mm-hmm. Um, taking it as an individual Marvel Netflix show opening episode, this is very strong. Mm-hmm. This is from all the other season twos that we've seen, and say just taking defenders as a whole. From an opening episode, this sets up the feeling, it sets up the tone, it sets up the main characters. It gives you an update, progress on where they are. It gives you some. It introduces what potentially could be one of the big bads straight away. It shows you his shows. Like they put all their cards on the table, Mm. very much so, and it's really interesting to see that. I'm straight away hooked. I wanted to binge on to episode two. Um, I literally was like, oh, my God. They just, oh, my God. <laughs> and I was just like, okay, that's that's how you do it. Because we talked about this previously in the past of how Netflix, and especially the Marvel Netflix shows, are great at that final scene. Mm-hmm. And this is the exact same.
0: And weirdly, didn't we say that Luke Cage season one was the one that we said wasn't good at the cliffhangers? Exactly. This episode really was
1: Exactly. That they, they they've learned mistakes of the wrong word. They learned from potentially some of the shortcomings mm-hmm. of season one. From what I can see in straight in episode one of season two. They, they they've strengthened certain characters, they they've developed certain characters, they, they've expanded on relationships and they've kind of gone, Hey, we know we made you wait till episode nine to give you another powered guy. Guess what? Here he is. So Taking this in isolation, I fully defend this episode of Luke Cage, season two, episode one, and I'm dying to see the remaining episodes.
0: Excellent, excellent, and fellow defenders, just to let you know, since it was Chris's birthday, I did tell him he could watch episode two of season two of, of Luke oh, Cage. Chris, but he you said are no. Blessed. He I said know. no. I gave him the opportunity to watch ahead, and he said no.
1: I care about coming in clean. <laughs> and fresh to this recording, as well as... I, I am untouched by any marketing I am very impressed. Trailers. You are very so,
2: fresh bring today, it Chris.
0: I'm very Thank impressed. You. Well, let's find out what John thought. John, do you defend Luke Cage, season two, episode one, Soul Brother number one?
2: I do defend uh, episode one of this second season of Luke Cage. I give this four abandoned and lonely shopping bags out of five. <laughs> I really,
0: <laughs> nice that I wasn't expecting that.
2: <laughs> I really think it was, um, just a really assured, um, opening. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, it, it brings in things from Defenders. It brings in things from, uh, season one of Luke Cage in an appropriate way, really good way, adding to what they want to tell in the, in this story, at least for this first episode from what I can see. And again, I think it, it's a real good melting pot of, you know, you have all these crime families coming together you've got uh, Luke's dad, you've got Luke and Claire that are, uh, you know, despite the, um, the old sexy Marvel butt, uh, at making an appearance here for the first time, there's a little bit of a tension between these two. So you, you have that. You've got Misty dealing with the fact she's been laid off the force for a while, really wanted to come back after she's had effectively a nose rubbed in it by Cockroach. But you've got Bushmaster coming in as well. And I think this is really, chucked in all the ingredients into this fabulous sort of mixture here that I think really excites me for the rest of this season. And I have to say, you know, he wasn't on the screen for very long, but I really did like Bushmaster mm. uh, a lot here. And anyone that can give style, violence, and a, a bit of horror, at least with what he did to poor Nigel, he really landed... um the somersault for me. Um, you know, you've got parallels with Cottonmouth. Uh, you've got parallels with Diamondback. Um, and I, I just thought he was cool, had presence, um, and feels really intimidating, uh, for the future. And of course, then you've got the return of Mariah Dillard. Um, and I love this lady. Um, I love her swagger, and I can't wait to see what she does. So I think there's a really strong start. I love the musical references. I like some of the literature references in here. It really just gives a strong flavor and vibe for Luke Cage Season 2, which mm-hmm. I really, really just uh lapped up, to be honest, in this first season. And again, the pacing is really... You know, it's not fast, but it's, it's deliberate and assured. I think it it really knows what it wants to do. So, Derek, do you defend this episode of Luke Cage season two?
0: You took the words out of my mouth just before it got over to me. Um, absolutely how, I, how we described season one of Luke Cage was that it's deliberately paced. This feels deliberately paced with confidence is, is what I'd say about this episode of season two. It feels like I know where I'm going. I'll get there when I'll get there. And you just need to pay attention to all of these characters and go along for the ride. And I love that ride. I absolutely defend this episode. I felt the vibe instantly from the opening scene when Luke is busting in heads and all the guys are just standing there with their guns going, well, we got to try. We know you're bulletproof. Everybody knows that. But we got to try and use our guns on you. Um, it's got a nice confidence about it, a nice swagger about it. The music is great. The performances are great. I can't wait for episode two of this show. Really looking forward to it. It's been so much fun uh, talking about the episode with you guys. Um, So much fun to talk about it with you, fellow Defenders. Thanks so much for joining us for this episode. Make sure you subscribe to our podcast over on DefendersTVPodcast.com. You can get us on iTunes, on Play, on... And any good or evil podcast catcher out there. Also, make sure you send in your feedback. Email us at feedback at DefendersTVPodcast.com. Go to our website at DefendersTVPodcast.com. Click on the Send Voicemail button and you can send your thoughts to us in a voicemail, which will play on the episodes in future. Uh, but we'll be back very soon with our coverage of episode two. We'll be back over this weekend and then we'll be moving to our schedule of Tuesdays and Fridays each week from then on.
2: Yeah, and of course, you can come on over to Facebook, to our group, uh, to the spoiler filled hidden comment posts that we do, so it doesn't spoil anyone mm-hmm. uh, but please uh post any of your thoughts, any of your discussions uh over in our Facebook group on these uh spoiler filled discussion threads uh We' love to hear your thoughts. Uh, on this and of course if you're just joining uh, us for this podcast for the first time please head on over to facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash defenders tv podcast and come on over and join the discussions uh, and the community for this season of luke cage i think it is going to be really really good
0: and of course please remember to share the love by sharing the podcast. If you've enjoyed our podcast, make sure you share it through all of your social channels so that other people that may be interested in listening to our podcast about Luke Cage can hear it.
1: Yes, and because we like keeping the lights on here, well, or the mics on, I should say, at Defenders TV Podcast, this episode was brought to you in part by Stitcher Premium. Uh, Guys, we know you love Marvel. We know you love podcasts. So you know what? Head on over to Stitcher. Check out their premium service where you get, including a fantastic scripted podcast called Wolverine the Long Night. Fantastic stuff. Some fantastic actors. And, and do you know what? Because we love you and we like passing on the wins, you can get a free month of Stitcher Premium by just using the promo code DEFENDERS. Mm-hmm. And yes, if you like us, tell your soul brothers, tell your soul sisters. Share the love, spread the word. But do you know what? Also, tell them about Stitcher Premium because there's a fantastic podcast there called...
0: Defenders TV Podcast. We're available on Stitcher too.
1: We are. Yes, exactly. <laughs> you don't have to so you it for can get two, two fantastic podcasts <laughs> there. You
0: there. there you go. Thanks so much for joining us, fellow Defenders. We'll be back with our review of The Cage Season 2, Episode 2, Straighten It Out, this weekend, as I mentioned, and then we'll be moving to Tuesdays and Fridays each week from then on.
1: Yes, and in the immortal words... Of Luke Cage, sweet Christmas, goodbye, happy summer, happy weekend, see you this weekend.
2: Yes, as always, thank you so much for listening, fellow defenders. Remember, no bullet can kill me, no man can stop me, and no one can stop me from getting to you through the medium of podcasting. (laughs) So, as always, we'll speak with you again next time. Bye. 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 Bye.